title of the message is called The Source of Spiritual Gifts. Last week, you'll remember, we talked about the purpose of spiritual gifts, what spiritual gifts are, what they're for, and how we receive them. And there were a lot, a lot of things that we discussed over an hour and 15-minute message. Uh, may or may not have been how long I preached last week. But uh, as we continue the conversation, tonight we're talking about the source of spiritual gifts. Next week, we're going to talk about the substance And then after that, week by week, we're going to start breaking down the different gifts that God has given us that are revealed in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We're also going to talk about Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter 4. I've already shared them with you kind of in a general sense. We're going to go in specifically and talk about them in detail. But tonight, this session, as we focus on the source of all spiritual gifts, I want to be extremely clear, the source of all spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're really talking about the gifts of the Spirit. They're truly His possession. They're what He brings. They're what He gives. And we want to honor Him tonight as we discuss the very source of what it is that we're going to be talking about for the next seven, eight, nine Weeks. We're recipients, we're stewards of the precious blessings that the Holy Spirit has given us and gives to us to serve other people. And so it's very important that we take a step back and focus on, on Him and focus on His role. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, as He was on His way to the cross, verse 16, He said to the disciples, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. I want to read that again. Jesus is on his way to the cross, has these conversations with the, with the disciples, and he says to them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. There's a point at which Jesus even says, it is better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And that was his plan when Jesus gave his life, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, after his ascension to be with the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit, of which we're going to talk about, in the day in which he came. Now, the Holy Spirit has several roles and responsibilities, and in the Bible, he's referenced in these ways. I just wrote down the various um, roles that he has. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, the Holy Spirit, causes us to be born again. We're actually born of the Spirit. We're born from above. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He baptizes us. He sanctifies us. As Johann said last week, he's the Holy Spirit. So if he's going to do anything in us, he's going to make us holy. He's the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He anoints us for ministry. You want to be used by God, it's going to be because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He brings freedom. He gives joy. He produces godly fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, when the Bible talks about the fruit, the Christian fruit, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit. It's not that we ever get to a place where we're truly loving. It's that through the Holy Spirit in our life, flowing through us, love, is, we yield to the love that comes from Him. It's not a, just an attribute that we're supposed to grow into. It's a merging life where we yield to the one who is love and is loving. It's His fruit that's supposed to flow through our life. 
The Holy Spirit, I said, brings freedom. He pours love into our heart. According to Romans chapter 5, we want to be more loving. It says that the Holy Spirit's the one that pours that love into our hearts, and it becomes an abounding thing, an overflowing thing, that the world around us would experience the love of God. Isn't it interesting that when we wake up in the morning and we set ourselves to love people, what we are really saying is we are saying, Holy Spirit, would you fill me with the love that you have for people because I know that I'm not capable of doing that. When we unite ourselves with Christ and his spirit comes to live inside of us, it's because we need him. He's not an add-on. It's not a negotiable thing. It's not an option like you buy a car. This is what we need on the inside of us to be made alive by God's Spirit. He's the one that brings all of these things into our life. He comforts. He guides. The Bible calls him our guide. He knows where he's going, and he knows how to lead you and I. And so we need to be sure that we're following him. God is supernatural, And by his spirit, he moves through and in his people to accomplish his purposes. And we're called to live a supernatural life at our church. That's why we actually have it on the wall. It says, we're called to make disciples who experience a supernatural life through the Holy Spirit. We actually believe that. That God himself is supernatural. And no, by ourselves, we are not supernatural, but us plus God is supernatural. We're not just powerful people. We're people filled with power himself. We're not just loving people. We're we're people filled with love himself. He's personified in the person and the work of God's spirit. I want to talk to you just a little bit about how, you know, how we experience the Holy Spirit and the various things. And I need to break these down because there's a lot of confusion, especially when we use the word baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want to tell you tonight is we experience the Holy Spirit through regeneration. We experience the Holy Spirit through regeneration. You're going to have to follow me very carefully. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. This is called regeneration. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, we are dead in our sins and our transgressions. We are dead from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, God said to the original man, the original woman, that there was a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was also another tree called the tree of life. And God gave us a choice. He said, you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're called to steward everything. You can have everything else. You're called to, you're called to uh, nurture all of this, but you can't eat from that tree. And when you eat from that tree, you will die. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you know the story The serpent, the devil comes and deceives Eve and ultimately Adam and we as humanity inside Adam and Eve, we ate from that tree and we died spiritually on that day and death was imparted to every human being that would ever exist after that point in history. That the first man and the first woman are not just responsible but humanity was actually inside of them in that choice. All of us were in them in that moment when they chose to disobey God, and death entered the hum- human race. And we're born with that. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says that you and I are dead in our sins and our transgressions. We are spiritually not alive. We are not alive to God. And we were in need of being made alive. You and I need to be made alive. 
And so regeneration means to be reborn, means to be made alive. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus referred to this as being born again or being born from above in John chapter 3 when he's talking to a Jewish man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking him these questions and Jesus answers him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And he's talking about being born from the Spirit, of the Spirit. He's talking about being born from above. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the the kingdom. You can't experience life the way that you were created for. You weren't just created to survive and to have a moral life or to be a nice person. You were created to be alive. And the only way you can be alive is to be alive to the one that made you. And so we're dead, we are not alive, and Jesus comes to make us alive, to regenerate us. When we experience regeneration, what happens is that we believe upon the only one that can bring us to a place of life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He is life. And so when we believe on his death, his burial, his resurrection... The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, the indwelling presence of God, the indwelling spirit richly deposited on the inside of us. Paul actually puts it this way. He says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, it says, in him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, we're talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to a redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. There's another verse that says it like this, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. The Holy Spirit in this life was given as a down payment. In our hearts, in our spirit, we have the Holy Spirit when we believe upon Jesus. He was given as a down payment because fullness is coming. Jesus is coming back to fully and completely redeem us in all reality where we can see him as he can see us. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing fullness. Fullness is coming. This life isn't all that there is. And so if you think it is, I want to disrupt your plans. We first recognize the work of of the Spirit in salvation, and it's supernatural throughout its process. It's a very supernatural thing to be made alive from the inside. But be sure of this, every human being on the planet needs to be made alive by Christ and the work of the Spirit as they believe upon Him. It is not possible outside of that. It is just not. And really, that's what hell is. Hell is to be shut out from the presence of God for eternity. That is what hell is. It's to live in the death that began on the day when Adam and Eve said yes to sin and no to God. It's to continue for eternity in that decision. Because once we transition from this life to the next, there is no more decision. And so Paul put it like this. I'm, he's, he was persuaded. He was compelled to see people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He was compelled, he was a man with conviction that this life is gonna be given over to seeing people come alive in Jesus Christ and his part to play in that was to share the gospel. I know it's popular today to preach that there is no hell, but that's a lie. It is a lie. 
There really is a place that people who do not believe in Jesus will go if they don't choose him in this life, which should compel every person who says that they believe in him to tell every person that they possibly can. I'm very disturbed when I hear about people talking about all of these end times, you know, the blood moons and all of this. If you don't know what that is, you're better off. But I'm very disturbed when I hear people focus on all of these things and the signs of the times and the the end is here, the end has come. If you really believe that the end has come, then prove it by preaching the gospel to everybody that hasn't said yes to Jesus. As Jesus rose from the dead, he met with his disciples and he had an interesting encounter with them. It's a very important moment in the Gospels. In John chapter 20, Jesus had had risen from the dead and he's meeting with his disciples. In verse 21, it says this, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And he does so in, in the power of the Spirit. How was Jesus sent into his ministry? In Luke chapter 3, how was Jesus sent? He was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Obviously, he was born of the Spirit as the Son of God. He was conceived of the Virgin Mary, but he was sent into his ministry by the power of God's Spirit. He didn't do one miracle until the Holy Spirit descended upon him like in the fashion of a dove is what the Bible says. Not one miracle was done. Not one sermon was preached until the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then he goes into the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, and he comes out of the wilderness, it says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the same life that you and I need. But he says this to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive, which means receive into yourself, the Holy Spirit. Now to me, this is the born again moment for these disciples. They believed upon Jesus They saw him die, he was buried for three days, and clearly they're looking at a resurrected man. They believe upon the resurrected Christ, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the moment where they are born again, and the Spirit of God enters into them as they believe upon him. And this really is a moment of recreation, and it reminds us of of Genesis chapter 2, when God formed human beings. It says in Genesis 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So when you read John chapter 20, verse 21, it is like a recreation moment that reflects what God did in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so this is what regeneration is. Jesus came to make us alive, not to make us better, not to make us decent, not to make us likable, but to make us alive and to live forever. We all preach John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the only begotten of the Father. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only begotten of the Father. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And everlasting life begins the moment that you give your life to Jesus. I don't really believe in inviting Jesus into your heart. I believe in giving your life to Jesus. This is what I believe. I believe part of the reason why there's a lack of power among those that call themselves Christians, and hear me, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying something that I believe is true. The reason that there's a lack of power, and by power I mean transformation, 
Transformation from a dead-looking life to something that gives life to everyone around them. From a dead tree to a tree that produces fruit that everybody wants to, to pick off of. The fundamental thing that I think is, has happened is, is that we preach a lesser message about being born again. We preach, many preach a lesser message about being born again. And in the South, my friend that pastors a church, he says there are many religious unsaved people in his church. Many that cry and they pray, oh Jesus, but they don't know him. And we're not the judge of anyone's heart. I'm not the judge of your heart. You're not the judge of mine. God is the judge. But God gave his son that everybody would be alive. And we can't be content until everybody's alive. We've got to have the same heart that God has. So that you and I would not only come alive, but our heart is for everyone else too. I know this isn't the evangelism class yet. But let's prime the pump, baby. Let's get there. God gave us enough to share. That's what I know for sure, that his son is meant to be shared, and what we have is enough to share. But we need to be regenerated, and I, and I think part of what the problem is is that we preach a message where you invite Jesus into your life rather than you give your life to Jesus. We're not driving the car, meaning our life. We're not driving the car of our life and we pull over and we say, Jesus, would you, would you come and would you be my passenger? And then, and then you direct traffic, you direct the car, you're going where you're going and Jesus gets to get into your car. No, friend, listen, we pull our car, our life over on the side of the road, we get out of the driver's seat, we take the title and the deed, we sign it over to Jesus Christ and we say, sir, you just open the door for him, you might as well. He gets into the driver's seat, you get into the passenger seat and you say, Jesus, take the wheel. Where are we going? That is where you and I get transformed. That's where you and I truly get changed. Being regenerated, being born again means that life enters into us. And we're no longer the people that we once were. And we're growing up into the fullness of what that looks like, which truly looks like the Lord Jesus, the one that we're following. But the Holy Spirit, the first way in which we experience the Holy Spirit is through regeneration, which really is becoming a Christian. It's being saved. It's giving our hearts and lives to Jesus. As we're in love with him, as we experience his good news, the second very, very important way that we experience the Holy Spirit, the source of spiritual gifts, is we experience the Holy Spirit through empowerment. Now, in the Bible, it talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These are very synonymous terms. And I know we get hung up on the word baptism because we've, we've kind of made this word a holy word. But in Greek, the word baptism or baptizo doesn't, isn't a holy word. It means to immerse, to completely saturate, to completely cover, to drench. It's not like a holy word. It's like you can baptize your chicken in barbecue sauce. It's not a holy word. There are many baptisms. It's to immerse, it's to drench, it's to cover, and he wants to do that with us the power of his, with the power of his spirit. Regeneration is what he does on the inside. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he does on the outside that you and I would have the power to do what Jesus did. And so we experience the Holy Spirit through empowerment. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, it says this, as for me, I baptize, John the Baptist is talking, he says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's saying, the medium of the baptism that I'm giving you is water. I'm baptizing you into water for repentance. But Jesus is going to baptize you into the Holy Spirit for power. He's going to baptize you into that power. And we have clarity on that as we look um, in Acts chapter 1. Now, I believe that as Jesus walked with his disciples for three years, he taught them all about the kingdom. They watched his life. They even at times had a dispensing of power. Jesus gave them power and authority in Luke chapter 10. And he said, go out and preach the kingdom and heal the sick and cleanse the leper. He even said, raise the dead freely as you have received, freely give. They had moments where they had temporary power given to them by Jesus. There were these moments. And so as that happened, we know that they've experienced power. They've heard his teachings everywhere that he's gone. They've had the best teacher on the planet. But Jesus told them very, very clearly not to go, even as he gave them the great commission to go and make disciples, he told them not to go until they were baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the teaching that I gave you is not enough to accomplish what I've told you to do. It's not enough. Principles and knowledge is important. That's why I had you with me. That's what we were doing. There was discipleship by impartation of principles and knowledge and truth. But you've got to have power before you go out and do what I've called you to do. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And you and I are living in the remotest parts of the earth right here and right now. They couldn't even envision where we're living in those days right here and right now. This is the remotest parts of the earth from the epicenter of where they were standing at that time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, friend, I want to interpret that for you and tell you what they understood about power. They understood power raised the dead. They understood that power healed bodies. They understood that power cleansed leprous people that were cast out of society. They understood what power meant. There wasn't another way to interpret that for them. They had already tasted. They had touched it. They understood it. They had walked with it for seasons of time, but it was temporary. And what Jesus was saying in this moment was that you've learned the principles. You have the teaching. You are my apostles, but you cannot go until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You cannot go. So go into Jerusalem and wait. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, he had already breathed on them to receive into themselves the Holy Spirit. That regeneration moment had already occurred. They clearly believed upon the risen Christ at this time. People fight over whether or not they were born again. Of course they were born again. How did you get born again? You believed on the risen Christ. Yes, they were born again. And they're talking to a resurrected man who we know as Jesus, and they knew him even more so. Go into Jerusalem. I want to baptize you with power 
so that you can go and do all of the things that I've told you to do, that I've taught you to do, that you saw me do. And so it's important to know this context. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, many of us know the story. There were 120 believers gathered praying and it, it, it lends itself to help us understand they were most likely in an upper room and they were waiting for the promise. And I want to make this comment. It's not like these guys knew what was supposed to happen. They knew the promise of the Holy Spirit was going to come, but it's not like they knew what that looked like. It's not like they had some kind of formula. It's not like that when this happens and that happens, all they knew was they were supposed to obey Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them to go in Jerusalem and wait, and that's what they were doing. They were in Jerusalem, and they were waiting. And the day of Pentecost fully comes in Acts chapter 2, and it says, suddenly there came a rushing wind. A rushing wind came into the room where they were all sitting. And I mean, I think women had buns in their hair, and the buns were undone, you know? Men had hats and beanies, and they were all over the place. I mean, it was messy. It says a mighty rushing wind came into the room. And it probably startled them. And then it says that there were flames of fire around the room that came to rest on each one. Came to rest on each one. And it says they began to speak in other languages. They began to speak in what the Bible calls tongues, but it really means other languages. Unlearned languages. Languages that they were given by the Spirit that they had never learned. They weren't just educated. It was was given by the Holy Spirit. And if you count them up, there's 13 different languages that were spoken among those believers as they praise God when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in this moment, the book of Acts chapter 2. And then there are many onlookers and mockers, and when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there are always mockers, there are always scoffers, there are always Pharisees. There are, there always will be. And there were scoffers, and they said, oh, these guys are drunk with sweet wine, they must be drunk. And Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, and he says this, For these men are not drunk, as you you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So now he's going to recall a prophecy that was many, many years before that was made about the day that they are literally standing in. So feel the weight of history. This isn't just a Pentecostal message. This is the moment of history that the time had fully come that Joel had prophesied about and Peter got to stand up and be the spokesperson on that day to recall what was already said about the moment of history that they're living in. Could you imagine the weight of that moment? I mean, that moment just finally comes. It's been foretold. Here we are. Right now, it's happening. And he says, this is what it is. As he quotes from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, he says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, and even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to tell you why they were excited. It wasn't a moment where they were excited because they were all drunk in the Holy Ghost. That's not what was happening. That's not the way to interpret what was going on. These guys, listen, I'm passionate about this because we need to be, friend. Listen very carefully to me. 
They were excited because these were 120 people that were not prophets. They were not priests. They were not kings. They were not of royal lineage. They were not anybody special. They weren't known by the masses. They were just random people that began to wait on God. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God that was only given in the Old Testament to prophets, priests, and kings was poured out on them. And they were so ecstatic that people that were watching them being excited thought, these guys must be drunk. It wasn't a Pentecostal hoopla. It was excitement because the fullness of history, it just, it just culminated in this moment on these people. And they realized it. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved and all can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All can have the, the Holy Spirit be poured out on their life. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter who your daddy was or mommy was. It doesn't matter if you're a prophet. It doesn't matter if you were called to the priesthood. All that matters is if you call on the name of the Lord. And if you do, you're not only his, but he is yours. And so the Spirit is poured out and they can't contain it. They're speaking in tongues. They're prophesying. Supernatural. Fire was resting on their heads, ladies and gentlemen. That's not a normal day in the kingdom for everybody. I mean, we theorize this. We theologicalize this. That's not a word. I just made it up. But that's what we do. And we talk about this. We dissect this. What about stepping into the moment and saying, this is for me? What about standing in the excitement and the joy of the moment and saying, this is for me? I mean, are we hungry for that or do we just want to dissect the Greek? I mean, do we just want to talk about what it means or do we actually want to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, but I have sons and daughters. And I read sons and daughters and I go, come on. (laughs) Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams, and I'm sure the reverse is true, old men and young sons. (laughs) Women, 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 it says it twice, women, that's for you, all of us, young and old, men and women, genders, generations, and nations can have the fullness of the Spirit to represent Jesus with real power because he's a risen, real Christ. You know, my story is very simple. It's that I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 years old. Many of you have heard my testimony. I was drug addicted, sex addicted, all kinds of crazy, angry, rage-filled, on and on. Fill in the blank. You get it. I gave my life to Jesus at 19 in my bedroom. I experienced regeneration. I woke up the next morning, and the grass was green, and the sky was blue, and it's like I never saw it before. You understand what I'm saying? It was like I was dead, and now I'm alive. It was like I'd never seen the blue sky. Like, wow, the sky is blue. I mean, it was like I was finally alive, friend. And I didn't need the drugs to feel good about myself anymore. And I didn't need the liquor to feel, to numb the pain anymore. I didn't need that. I didn't need another feel-good experience because I felt good. I felt alive for the first time in my life, almost 20 years old. And it was several months I was sharing the gospel as as often as I could, I was giving Bibles to baristas. The, obviously, there's no tact whatsoever. There's no wisdom. I didn't know how to build a relationship with anybody. I was just excited. Here's the Bible. They're like, oh, thank you, I think. I mean, they didn't really know. And it was like a 25-cent Bible that probably was all marked up and, and chewed up. And 
But, you know, I did what I could. I was excited about Jesus. I was dead, now I'm alive. That's what you do when you're in love. You tell everybody. You're not ashamed. And so I really did that. And we were hanging out in all kinds of places. We went where people were, and people gather in Seattle quite a bit. So we were in Seattle and everywhere else we could go. And we had a friend that got out of prison because that's the kind of life we lived. And he did a Bible study with us one day, and he starts talking to us about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we're like, I mean, my parents were raised during the Jesus People movement, and they, my dad told me stories about people coming out of the baptism water speaking in tongues. And I thought, that's pretty cool. And my dad would speak in tongues when he would pray sometimes, not all the time. So I, it's like I had heard it before, but I had never asked a lot of questions. I didn't know anything. I had no grid for any of it. My friend's out of prison, and he's talking to us about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds like more to me. I'm in. I, mean, I don't know. I just want more. So I, I always think it's funny that people are so scared about things that the Bible talks about. And um, I get it. You don't understand stuff. We don't understand things. But I'm just so hungry. It just bypasses like my meters or my offended type thing that I don't want, that scares, no, just let all that go, man. If there's more, there's more, you know, that's kind of how I started. But that's, maybe that's because I was just so messed up. <laughs> so nothing really could phase me, I guess, I don't know. <clears throat> but we did a Bible study and he comes over and he, um, he talked, I was like, there's no way it could be nine o'clock, it's, it's almost eight o'clock, I'm doing good on time. I just, ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know. He comes over and he starts to pray, and he starts to pray in a, in a language, in another language that sounds like a, another language that I, you, you would hear, but I didn't know what it was. And as he prayed, I don't, like I said, I hadn't always felt a lot of stuff, but in this moment, I felt like a presence, the presence of the Lord, now I knew, I knew come over me and just wash over me. I mean, I'm talking like, I was already saved and delivered and excited and passionate and sharing the gospel, or at least whatever I knew of the gospel. I don't know if that's what other people were receiving, but they were getting whatever I was given, you, you understand. And I felt the presence of the Lord come over me, and I just couldn't move for like 45 minutes. That's about, I mean, that's at least how long it was. I just sat there, and I just, it was like electricity went through my body, just I didn't, I didn't fall, I, I was, well, fortunately for me, I was sitting, but I didn't um, speak in tongues, I didn't have any, anything happen in that, that moment, but there was a boldness that just crawled down on the inside of me, I mean, and it was like, it was like fire, I mean, it was like a consecration, that's all I can say, and um, whatever I was doing at that point, I mean, it just got the decibel level got turned up, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it was like, and if you thought I was excited, you're in for something. And, um, and all of a sudden, it was, in, it was in those days where I started to experience like prophetic visions and dreams. I started having an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on my life where I would have, I never had dreams before I was a Christian. And all of a sudden, I'm having dreams and I'm, I'm looking at people and I'm seeing like spiritually, I don't know how to describe it other than to say I start to see stuff as I look at people. 
I remember being in church services, and this still happens to me today, but I'd be in church services and my eyes would be open, and it was like, I remember in this sanctuary, the first time I ever came into this building was in 2001, and I was sitting in the back, all the way in the back behind the camera, and, and I, I talk about this in my book, but my eyes are wide open, and I see smoke in filling the entire building, the filling the entire building, and I bump my buddy, and I go, do you see that? And he says, see what? I go, That. Man, and I'm like, I'm rubbing my eyes. I didn't have glasses back then. Maybe I needed them. I don't know. But it's as close as I can touch it. But I can feel anything. I just could see it. This smoke, this cloud, I don't know. It looked like people were smoking in the building. And I thought the fire alarm was going to go off. And I keep bumping him. I'm like, do you see that? And I got a clue. Like, he didn't see what I saw. And so I'm having an experience, but I didn't know what that was. But I started having this kind of stuff happen to me. Now, not everybody has this stuff happen to them. I understand that. But this stuff started happening to me after that moment where I was baptized. That moment that I talked to you about where I was in my friend's house and just was baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the power. I already had the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I was already born again. I was already a Christian. But the Holy Spirit came upon me in a new power. And it was like an insatiable, uncontainable hunger that I began to have that was far beyond what I had already experienced, which I thought was pretty good. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't even ask God to do this. It just happened. And so we started praying for people for that to happen, and we had no idea what we were praying for. I mean, I had no Bible behind this or anything. Everybody was a target, you understand. I mean, if you're breathing, you're a target. That's how it worked. And there were times where I'd be praying for people and their eyes would be open like, you know, can we get this prayer over with, you know? And I'm like, come on, God, just, you know, what you did to me, do it to them. <laughs> Nothing would happen. And I'm like, how does, what is it, what is this? But the more I begin to, you know, understand what Scripture's taught and the more I begin to lead people and walk with people and pastor people and help people come to know Christ and really want the more. Jesus said in Acts 1, listen, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's not just for an encounter, it's not just for an experience, it's that you and I would become witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's not that we would witness, it's that we would become a witness. It's not about doing something, it's about being something. That we are witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are witnesses because we live like the Lord Jesus Christ. That we exhibit the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he told them, don't go to represent me like I told you to until the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need to go in the power of the Spirit. And I don't have to preach very long to bring us all to a place where we felt powerless before and we understand that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I started doing some research and there's six occurrences where the Holy Spirit came upon or was poured out or baptized people in the Bible. There's Acts chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, Acts 9 where we talk about the Apostle Paul and his conversion experience and Ananias laid hands on him and it says it scales fell from his eyes. And it's actually referenced back to that later on in his epistles. Acts chapter 10, verse 23, where there's a man named Cornelius, 
and he's in a house, and he's, he sends for Peter because he has an encounter with the angel of the Lord, and the, the angel of the Lord says to him, go send for this man named Peter, and Peter comes back, and Peter preaches to this Gentile household, and as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. As they believe upon Jesus on, because of his message, the Holy Spirit falls freshly upon them, and this is what it says, that they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied, just like in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 19, we have some very similar results where those that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, those that were filled with the Holy Spirit, synonymous terms here, the outpouring of the Spirit happens. In Acts chapter 19, it says that they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, something happens. Something happens. I personally did not speak in tongues when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, but I later on did. I later on did. I later on began to speak in tongues. There are people, just to be very candid with you, there are many, some of us here tonight, we believe that in order to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues. That is the evidence that you are baptized. And I would say to you, it's, it's true and it also can be not true. It's not the only evidence. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So how do you make a doctrine about one and not the other? You've got you've to give them both equal opportunity. So if we're going to go with scripture on this, we've got to say speaking in tongues and prophecy. We can't just say speaking in tongues. But here's one thing we do know for sure, and it's not debatable, something happens. And the purpose of it is power. And so if we have powerless lives, you and I tonight are praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because we're not, you and I cannot justify a powerless life based on any theology because we, we, because we think that we already have something that we're clearly not living in. And that's where you and I would say, well, we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, which I would agree with you. I actually don't think that, um, I don't think we're like a cup and the Holy Spirit is just like poured into us necessarily. I mean, our spirit is born again, so the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us when we become a Christian. But I don't think that's kind of like we're filled with like a cup. I think we're more like a, a pipe where the Holy Spirit like flows through us. I know all metaphors don't do the trick. So you terminology police, just stop. <laughs> I know you, you are. Because I'm one of you, so there's, there's that. But every metaphor falls short. But I don't think it's like we're a cup, you know. I think we're more like a, there's a flow, right? What did Jesus say in John chapter 7, verse 37, speaking of the flow of the Spirit in our lives? He said, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. There's a flow. And I believe what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is, it's an activation to the flow. It's an activation to the flow. And here's what I'm not okay with. I'm not okay with people just speaking in tongues and having a powerless life. It's not acceptable to me. If Jesus said, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, both to Judea, Samaria, um, and Jerusalem, and the uttermost parts of the world, you and I can speak in tongues and have, listen to me clearly, and have no power in our life and think that we're filled with God's Spirit, but we're scared to share the gospel of Jesus. That is not what Jesus intended. That's not what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about become a tongue talker and be spiritual in your own self, but be scared as a chicken to represent Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. This is really good what I'm saying, I promise. Don't find a way out of this. Find a way into this. 
Because what I'm talking about is representing Jesus. And some of us, hand over heart, I'm not talking at you, I'm talking with you, friend. We're scared. We're scared to talk about Jesus. That's what we are. We're, we're scared. You and I, we're scared, but we don't even like to admit it. We have new language to sophisticate the fact that we're scared. We call it something else. Well, it's just not the proper time. I'm just looking for a, a moment to get in there. I want to discern this and I want to discern that. Listen, get in love with Jesus. Get baptized with his spirit and you won't be able to contain what God does. It's God, listen, no matter what, if you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, it doesn't matter because you plus the Holy Spirit is what gets the job done. You and I are never going to be enough. We never were enough. We're never going to be enough. We're never going to be to a place of boldness in ourselves. We're never going to be strong people. We're people that are filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's what gets the job done. That's what shakes the world for Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled people who know who their God is, who know who they are, and they know the gospel that they're carrying is the very thing that every person on the planet needs, witnesses of Jesus Christ, carrying the power of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, with the nature of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're called to. That's what it means to be baptized in the power. You and I can speak in tongues in our bedrooms. We can pray and we can scream and we can yell and we can act spiritual. But if it doesn't leave the building, it is not what Jesus intended. It's got to be more and it has got to leave the building. Now, I want to be very clear with those of you that think I'm putting down speaking in tongues. I'm not. The Apostle Paul said, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues even as I do. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. And I just pause right there, even though he goes on to talk about the benefit of prophecy, that's where I land. I wish that everybody spoke in tongues. Matter of fact, I believe that everybody can speak in tongues. 100% I believe that. You won't change my mind. You can try. You can try. you got to buy the coffee, though, if we're going to have that conversation. You have to buy the coffee because I've had that conversation too many times. Speaking in tongues it has two purposes. One is the private prayer language, and another one is the prophetic utterance among the body of Christ. It comes with interpretation. There are two different ones. But what I'm saying to you tonight is this. When we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, something has to happen. There's a shift. Something comes out of our mouth. They prophesied and they spoke in tongues. So when I pray for people to be baptized with God's spirit, I pray for all of it. Unashamedly, I prepare them. I don't freak them out or anything, but I say, man, get ready because God wants to bring boldness and power into your life so that you can do whatever he's called you to do. You don't have to be scared anymore. Isn't that a word for someone? You don't gotta be scared anymore. Stop being scared. You don't have to be scared. Just call on the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 18, Paul says, so be careful how you live. Do not live like fools. I mean, that'll preach right there, won't it? But we're not talking about that. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord's, what the Lord's will is or what the Lord wants you to do. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. The first prayer that we pray in the morning is, God, fill me with your spirit. 
Fill me with the Holy Spirit because I know that no matter what I attempt to do today, if I do not do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm too familiar with that life. You are too familiar with a life without power. It's not what we're called to. And so we call upon the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to do what we're called to do. It's the way that it works to have a spirit-filled life. And we experience the Holy Spirit through regeneration, being born again. We experience the Holy Spirit through empowerment, through being baptized. And that baptism with the Holy Spirit comes with evidence. It absolutely comes with evidence. I want to be very clear. You can't see in Scripture where it doesn't. There was boldness. There was tongues. There was prophecy. There were supernatural things that happened. When we pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we're praying for supernatural things to happen of God's Spirit. It's what we're asking Him to do. It's what happened. It's what we're asking for. But we also experience the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts, which is what we're studying in this class, which is what we've been going over last week and what we will continue to go over. And I read this verse to you last week, but I want to remind you in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives when the body is gathered together. He says this in verse 7, but to each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word manifestation is a similar word to the word evidence. It's evidential. What the Holy Spirit gives is evidential in the midst of the body of believers, in the gathering. Actually something that you can observe, something you can experience, something you can see. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He manifests himself through the body of Christ in spiritual gifts. And so when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts are released in our life so that we can minister accordingly. Now I would say to you tonight that if you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, tonight we've got to just become a people and I can't, I don't know how to motivate or emotivate or compel you. All I can tell you tonight is this, you have a need. I have a need. And I also have a calling. I am called to do things by Jesus that are not possible unless I'm hungry for what he told his disciples to go and wait for. And I've got to maintain and sustain that hunger, and he will help me do that. It comes through prayer. We ask God for this. But if you haven't had that activation, I'm not asking you if you're saved or if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but do you have that activation of power in your life to step out? I mean, I'm not content with just being a saved saint. And that's the whole point of the power of the Spirit. There are a lot of things that the Spirit does. He teaches, He guides, He baptizes us into the body of Christ, which isn't the same thing as being baptized into His power. Remember, the only unfortunate reality is is that the body of Christ is divided over a lot of stuff because they take that one word baptism and they bust out a concordance and wherever they see the word baptism, they sort of correlate them or equate them as the same experience when they're in fact not. We know there are many baptisms. There's baptism in water. There's baptism into the body of Christ. There's baptism with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. There's just different, these are different, speaking of different things because the word baptism is not a holy word or it never was meant to be. It was meant to be a descriptive word. So it's unfortunate that that happens, but what I want to do is compel you that you have a need tonight. You have a need to move from theory to reality. 
And only you can be honest about that. Only I can be honest about that. I have to look into the mirror and be honest with God about where I'm at. And I just don't understand why any of us would want to be less than what we're reading about. When I was first discipled, my mentor used to tell me, people that believe in the Bible are not people, or true faith in the Bible is not believing that it did happen, it's believing that it still happens. There are times as a pastor where I get so frustrated because we have so many Bible studies, but how many groups do we have where we have like Bible lifestyle groups, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm all about studying the Bible, but there's a point at where you know enough, friend. Not that you stop studying the Bible, and I'm sure that could have come off the wrong way, but, but where you get to doing the stuff, you got to get to doing the stuff. You got to put yourself into situations where God has to show up. How about that one? I like doing that stuff. Had a guy deliver a dishwasher to me today at my house, and I looked at this guy, and he was definitely, he was definitely a guy that was from Africa. I could, his accent was very thick, and him and another buddy, but I, I literally, I looked into his eyes, and I'm like, you're a Christian, man. You, you have the light of Christ in you, and he goes, he just came alive. How did you know this? You know, <laughs> I said, by the Spirit, and he goes, ah, Amen. You can see what you can't see, right? You can do what you could never do by the Spirit. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I always think it's interesting how people debate spiritual gifts and healing and power and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're going to talk next week about the substance of spiritual gifts. If any of you have questions or you're like, well, you could, spiritual gifts can be uh, mishandled. And I would say to you, yes, you're right but you're only giving me 50 minutes to go over. You know, that's why this class is six weeks, actually 12 weeks long. Next week, I'm going to talk about the substance of spiritual gifts, which is love. That's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, that if you minister in spiritual gifts without the love of God, then you're just a clanging symbol. You're just annoying. I've done it before. I'll do it next week. The only thing you want somebody to do is Stop. But you got to put yourself into situations where you actually need the Lord to come through. And I think that's part of our problem is we, we don't put ourselves into situations where we literally need the Lord to do something. What about that? I think it's interesting when people don't believe in this stuff. And I, my personal opinion, I shared this with you last week, is that people don't put themselves into situations where they have to pray even. I think the, there's a deficit of the people of God not praying. I don't even think you need to worry about praying in tongues if you don't pray. I think you need to start there. People say, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel it. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know how to start it. I don't know, like, I don't understand tongues. And the first question I always ask, and I've learned to ask this question, what's your prayer life look like? And I don't mean to be mean. I just, I'm, I'm asking, like, you're not going to care about more until you're doing something. I mean, that's like Dr. Obvious stuff right there. And I don't mean to be, you, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like more does, isn't even appealing until you're stepping into a place where you need more. If you don't use what you have, the need for more, you don't feel it, you don't, you don't sense it. It's not, uh, it's not something that's there, it's present for you. 
But tonight, there's got to be a need that's got to overcome you and me. It's got to overcome our desire to go home and watch Netflix. I mean, people have got to become important to us. Then power becomes important because we know we need something in order to change the reality that's in front of us. The only reason that people don't need or want power is because they just haven't been exposed to things or environments that will draw out of them a helplessness. There are times where you and I feel helpless, and it's in those moments that God wants us to look up and draw from Him, because that's where our help comes from. I've walked the halls of the hospitals. I've held dying babies. I've met with stage four cancer patients. I've done all of that. And if you do that with me, you'll start to pray. <laughs> There's a need for spiritual gifts. I, I just don't even, it, it's unfathomable, unfathomable to me to believe that the Bible and us having the Bible today means that we don't need spiritual gifts anymore. The needs of the world haven't changed The purpose of the Bible is to reveal the plan of salvation. It's to reveal the nature and the character of God to us. It doesn't change the need that we have for God to move, for the reality of God to come into our midst and do what he has always done. What the Bible does for me is it says, God, do it in my day. Do it in my day. Do it in my home. Do it in my son. Do it in my daughter. Do it in my life. Or it becomes a theory, doesn't it? And as you can tell, I'm done with theories. I, I want to encourage you as much as I can. I want to compel you. I want to push you if I can, a little bit. Okay, maybe a lot of bit. It's fine we sit in church. The devil doesn't care if we sit in church. He doesn't even care if we're loyal to church programs. But you start talking this Jesus stuff, man. You start talking this Jesus stuff. It starts to spill out of you a little bit. And you don't let introversion be an excuse for not opening your mouth. You understand what I'm saying? You might be an introvert, but Jesus can help you share with other people, even if you're introverted. That may never change, but he can help you share about him. Oh, man, I don't know where to go. I just want the power of God to come upon us tonight. That's really the only response that we have. Uh, you, you with me on that? The power of God, the substance of Jesus' life that we could do for others, what we could never do for them because of the power of God. In the head.